Well, before we leave the letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, let's step back and get a concluding overview. Father, as we take a glimpse at the big picture, would you draw out those things that are of preeminent importance to Paul and show us how he put this letter together and what impact it should have in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The letter is broken in uh, to two parts, and you can see that here in 1 Thessalonians 4, as the second part begins, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask you, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So he begins a section of exhortation about how they ought to walk and to please God. In chapters 1 through 3, there were zero imperatives. Zero commands. And in chapters 4 through 5, there are 14 imperatives. That's not an accident. That's the way Paul writes. Let's take Ephesians as an example. In the book of Ephesians, there are six chapters. The first half, one through three, has one imperative, namely, remember from which you were uh, brought, you Gentiles. And in chapters four through six, there are 41 imperatives. Take Colossians, for example. In chapters one to two, there are four imperatives. And in chapters three and four, there are 26 imperatives. This is not a fluke. This is the way Paul teaches the Christian life. He develops chapters of truth and doctrine, and he follows it with nitty-gritty practical unfolding of what a life lived in accord with that truth would look like. This is what Jesus taught him to do. Sanctify them. Jesus prays to his Father, sanctify my disciples in the truth. Your word is truth. So sanctification, which looms very large in 1 Thessalonians, becoming holy people happens through the truth which we experience through the word. First comes the word, first comes the truth, and then the life that is built on the truth. And it's remarkable if we jump over to 2, Corinth, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13, how you get an outline of this process of salvation. We ought always to give thanks to God for you. So this is the upshot of this, beloved by the Lord, because, one, God chose you before the foundation of the world. You are among God's elect as the first fruits to be saved okay so chosen to be saved 
through, so this through here is going to be right in the middle here between election and final salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit, number one, and belief in the truth. So we hear the truth, we believe the truth, the Holy Spirit comes to us through that faith and begins a sanctifying work, and that leads to final salvation and all of it rooted in the election. And that's exactly what we found back in 1 Thessalonians. So jump back here to chapter 1. The main point, I think, of the first um, what f- uh, two chapters, first chapters 1 through 3, three chapters of Thessalonians, is that the Thessalonian Christians are truly saved and elect. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. I think that's the resounding statement. We want you to know and be assured that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. For you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. And this receiving of the word in affliction with joy from the Holy Spirit validated their election. And that's what he wants them to know. And the other validation toward the end of that first chapter is you turn to God from idols. You turned away from all your idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. whom he raised from the dead, so they believed in the resurrection of Jesus and who delivers us from the wrath to come. So they believed that wrath was coming upon the world, because that's what Paul taught them, and they believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and that validated his death, which was the deliverance from this wrath. We see that in chapter 5. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we wake or sleep, we might live with him. So in chapters uh, two through three, so chapter one, he's emphasizing they are really elect. In chapters two and three, amazingly, chapters two through three, Paul is talking about his own ministry and telling them, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. You are witnesses. God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you. It was, it was as though there were critics that were following Paul around, trying to persuade the churches. He's just a, a, a hoax. He's not real. And Paul devotes two chapters to reminding them what kind of person he was, and then he ends that first section, chapter 3, with a prayer for them. May God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness, love leading to holiness. This is the huge theme of what's about to come in chapters 4 and 5 before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord, our Lord Jesus. So he, he prays 
the doctrine of chapters 1 through 3 into reality. And now in chapters 4 through 5, he turns that uh, doctrine into imperatives. And the way he does it is by emphasizing in chapter 4 and 5 the second coming, the doctrine of the second coming. And he reminds them, you don't need to be afraid of that. Because he says, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others, but let us keep awake, morally vigilant and spiritually alive, and be sober. So this heavy emphasis in these two letters on the second coming is meant to say it's going to be glorious, it's going to be hopeful, not for the world, they get judged, but for you, you are the children of light. And then, toward the end, as we saw in the previous few sessions, now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There's that holiness emphasis based on all the truth of their election and Christ dying for them and rising again and saving them from the wrath to come and take away all their fear of the judgment coming upon the world. May God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So he ends the book on the note, you are God's elect. And as his elect, he will keep you. And he will come at the end of the age and save you from the wrath that is coming. Don't be afraid. He is faithful. He will surely do it. And then he bids them go in peace with that tremendous confidence. And I pray that that's the effect on all of us in reading First Thessalonians. There is a glorious future coming. It is secured for us in peace and in holiness by the death and resurrection of Christ and the outworking of that in our lives through the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of God to keep his promise that if he calls, he keeps. He will surely do it.